Man, uh, there are Sunday mornings where I get up and I'm here and then that just happened and I go, man, I needed that. Anybody else with me? Man, I just needed them leading us that way. Um, thank you guys. That was just a gift. Um, this morning, I, I want to, we're going to do our message really in two parts and uh, to first, obviously, you know that we were gone last weekend, Trisha and I and our whole family, because there is the picture. Um, actually, down at the Vandervelden barn, um, it was awesome, and uh, there are kind of three parts to a wedding. There is the, the instructional part, right? It's all the, hey, this is going to, you know, what it means to be a wife and a husband, and all the instructional part of what's going to unfold in the ceremony. Then... Then there's the inspirational part, right? We, we shut down the place, dancing and, and just celebrating that. Then there's the informational part, right? It's the informational part. It's, it's the stuff nobody sees, the things that are really making it go. And a friend of mine shot a picture of this of me after the reception was over paying the bill. <laughs> this is called the money shot, he titled it. Um, this is the informational part. This is how it all happened, right? Um, I'm actually trying to figure out how much I owe and, on my nice iPhone, which was awesome and, and well worth it. Um, in the church, you come here on Sunday mornings, and they're really one of three or all of three things we're always trying to do. We're trying to inspire you. And we can only do that through the Holy Spirit's work, but we want to inspire you to know what it means to to be a Christ follower, and whether you know him or not. Another, a second part of that is we want to instruct you. We want to help give you some biblical instruction on, on how to live and what God says about living. But the third area is informational, right? Woohoo! Information. How many people are pumped about information? There are only like two hands. So for the next 20 minutes, shut her down. Uh, I want to talk to you, and there's really two messages I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to do this first piece on elder leadership. And like kind of I'm making fun in, in light of a money shot, but really, where really you need to know and understand the backbone and what happens in our church really comes out of its leadership. And I think it's very important, whether you're a first-timer this morning, whether you've been at our church for some time or forever, to, to know the integrity and some of the underside of what's going on in our church in leadership. And so bear with me, because I want to explain something to you, because you have a ballot on your, on your seat, and it's a bylaw. And uh, really, a lot of people don't get too pumped up about, I'm going to talk to you about bylaws. All right. Yeah. Inspirational. Um, I want to talk to you about our elder board and where we have kind of morphed and are learning. And I want you to first hear, your elders and your staff of this church are committed to learning. They're committing to growing in their faith and understanding more what it means to be servant leaders to the body of Christ, to the bride. Because of that, our bylaws, our methodologies, our programs will always be morphing hopefully closer to what it means uh, to being a church that's uh, more what God's called us to be. We're not perfect. Uh, our elder board's not perfect, but we strive toward that. Because of that, I want to give you a couple perspectives here. Um, our elder board process, 
uh, is this. Community elders are nominated by the congregation. That's you. Uh, now, we have said it's really nominated by all-in members. All-in, uh, it, it means really, if you filled out that card and made a covenant to be a part of this church body for the season. You ask, why do we change that every year and not change it, but ask you to re-up? Because membership was never checking a box and saying, I'm done. I've done the one class, and now I'm a lifetime member. I was in Germany, and sure enough, I would go to these beautiful uh, uh, cathedrals in Germany and saying, well, how many people attend here? And they'd give this thousands number. And they said, well, that's our membership. Come to find out, most of them are in the graveyard dead, and they're still members, right? They're lifetime eternity members. I don't know how you figure that. But they do, they count all that. We just feel like it's active, fully devoted people that are involved. It says, affirmed by our staff then and our elders and undergo an interview process before they're eligible for election to the elder board. Accepting the volunteer role of elder is not something to be taken lightly. Elders make extensive time commitments and take on deep spiritual responsibility in leading community church, and we're grateful for their selfless service on our behalf. Our elders have a very, very tough job and a very weighty job. With that, I want to give you the three components that make up the elder nomination process. I think it's important for you to see this. We have the congregation, that's you. Uh, it's our staff, which includes our lead team. Um, in there, it's the paid employees of the church. And then you have your elder board. First step, though, is an elder candidate is nominated by the all-in attenders here at the church. That comes out of biblical qualifications, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You want to look at that, and uh, we are going to come back to you about how we interpret some of that culturally, uh, but we use that as a framework for us to look at who is it that's already fulfilling being an elder. What, what eldering is not is, hey, we want representation, and let's, you know, a lot like government. It's not that way, and I want you to know this morning, if you're a young believer, a new Christian, you need to know the church was not designed to be that way. The church was designed to affirm those who were modeling what it means to be servant shepherd leaders in the church, discipling. And so we want to affirm that. So the congregation nominates. That list then goes to our staff. They, uh, they have elder candidate lists that they are firm, uh, and they kind of go through that and say, who is it on this list that we, through prayer and just sense, wow, they're a great fit. And they'll go through that list, and uh, it is. It's affirmation votes from a staff. That goes then to our lead team, the kind of the management group of our staff, and they'll do the same thing. Out of that will come a shorter list, a smaller list of a couple or a few that go to our elder board. Now, that comes out of 1 Timothy 3, too, because elders need to be above reproach. So you may nominate, let's say, 10 candidates, but let's say one of our staff members knows of one that had a very bitter interaction with uh, a volunteer leader in children's, and it was unresolved. It might be something that we hold them off, or young, a young believer. All these things are what's taken into account very prayerfully and working through that. But elders then unanimously identify a candidate to interview. They'll look at that list and say, we'll interview this one, we'll start with this one, once the interview is completed, the elders vote, 
uh, informally invite the candidate to the elder board pending congressional affirmation. And that's done unanimously by our board. So if there's a tension, one elder that feels like, ah, just for some reason, this doesn't feel right, we'll push pause on that. So then that list then, or that one candidate comes back to you. You've heard me say it over the six years, six and a half years, it's been, we, the elders have nominated, you've nominated, the elders affirm this person, and we give you two weeks. We say upon two weeks, and that's so that anybody that can come forward, again, above reproach, it could be everybody felt like this person's stellar. But let's say we have an elder nomination of someone that we present to you, and one of you had a very, very bad business deal go bad where there was immorality, let's say, in, in that picture, and you come forward. That would be part of that two-week process to have you come forward and say, I don't think they're ready. It's not judging them. It's just, and maybe it may be a conversation, which we would have. This is also that once it's affirmed, they're affirmed, they would then join our elder board. So that's the process you need to hear that goes on here. Um, it's not, you know, a boys club. It's not some special group that always gets special favor. It's quite, uh, it's quite a lot of commitment. Two functions for elders biblically. First is that they're to be above reproach as God's steward. That means they're to care for their own soul and life. The, the call for that is very weighty and heavy. But second is to be shepherds of the flock. And so we have three basic um, areas that make up our council of elders. First, there's affirmed elders. Those are the ones that you've nominated on. Second, which we are beginning to put them on, and you'll see that in a minute, pastors. Do you know the word overseer, elder, and pastor are all synonymous? They're the same. And what we felt attention was, why aren't these pastors that have to go through the same thing not considered a part of the shepherding role of our church? Then we have past elders, um, not passed on elders, although we might have a few of those. Um, We used to call them elders at large, but that was offensive too. It was like large elders walking around. Um, so we uh, had said, gosh, we need to begin to, to call them back because in the Bible, there's never like serve on the elder board and then ride off on your white horse and you're gone. So what we are saying is we want to begin to grow the shepherding elder culture of our church. So with that, there really are three kind of types of functions that go on on our elder board. One, there are the officers, and largely that's been what's consumed our elder board for many years. There are different offices to hold, first chairman, co-chair, treasurer, secretary, teaching. That was brought in about six and a half years ago. We want to know every person that's teaching a group or a class, what they're teaching, and if we're bringing in any guest people. That's not for control, It's what the elders did. They monitored what was being taught. And we're not the right and wrong police, but we just, it's it's an informing of our elder board to know. Pastor accountability. Um, Trish and I had brought someone in, a consultant, to help our elder board know how to take care of a pastor. And let me tell you why. How many of you have had a week? Don't partially agree with me, too. Like, half hand is like, you can't go halfway. How many of you have had really bad weeks in your life where you feel very distant from God. Would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand really high. Let's just look around. Imagine every week, no matter what week you have, you have to get back up here and talk about God. 
Friends, the role of pastor is tough. And I knew I better get some accountability around my life. So not, I don't want 11 elders in my life that way. Um, there's two that are a part of this pastor accountability team that we got help because, friends, pastors go down a lot. And a lot of it has to do with this tension in our souls because I'm not perfect. I'll have a bad week. I'll have lots of bad weeks. Yet I'm still a steward to try to do this well. And so doing that with integrity and authenticity is, is a very difficult road. So we have that. We have lead pastor, that's my role, and then a staff member. Now, we also have non-officers, elders that are on the board that don't carry an office, and then elders at large, which basically are elders that have rolled off the board function. Now, let me just stop for a moment about business. Uh, and I keep trying to teach this because I want to have us settle in and have some peace about this. We can all agree that the ministry of the church, the bride of Christ, is not a business. Amen? Yeah. But we all have to agree, living in America, we are called a nonprofit entity that owns property, has to handle finance, has to do salaries, we have to do all that. There is an element of business that we have to manage. And so that's required. Now in all this, as you see, we started to notice something. We started to notice that the role of elders, and if you look across the country, was more leaning towards the business part of it and not the shepherding part. For the last three years, we've been trying to collect more of our eldering role around the idea of shepherding people. You look in your Bible, overseer, elder, pastor was pouring in and discipling people. We want to do that, and we want to grow that community of shepherd elders even larger. So because of that, here is what we're proposing to change, and the bylaws reflect some of this change. First, you as a congregation still affirm, but you affirm shepherd elders. Same kind of process, it doesn't change anything. The difference is this larger pool of affirmed elders, staff pastors, and past elders, they're on there for life, again, unless some immorality happens and they're disqualified, or a life change. It could be an elder is ill and can't fulfill that role and they need to step down, or they're becoming a snowbird, right? Going back and forth, many of you are that way, that's fine, but it probably doesn't lend itself to being an effective shepherd here for 12 months of the year. So you still affirm them in this pool, and this pool can get bigger, and we could nominate maybe every quarter of more elders coming in that are going to be a part of the shepherding process. The difference is we then are going to elect officers from that. Now, we did that anyway. You probably just you didn't think much about that, but we are the ones that elected our, what offices each elder would take. The difference here is these officers are elected by themselves. And so this is a select group that deals primarily with business. Does that make sense? So what's great about this is this allows all of us to increase the room size and even more. In the Bible, the word deacon is actually the word is like a supporter to the elders. Very, very strict, uh, uh, what you'd call qualifications, but it really is our staff. That's what our staff is doing, the administration to empower the elders to be a better shepherd. So now on a Tuesday for our elder meeting, we start all together, all together as shepherd elders and deacons. How do we shepherd the church? What are the issues? We'll talk about marriage. How is marriage doing in the church? 
how is discipleship going in the church? I mean, it's getting richer and richer as we do this. Then we'll dismiss this whole group except for the officing elders. And then, then we vote on certain issues. Does that make sense? So because of all that, you have in front of you a ballot. And so hopefully I've, I've done a job here that helps you understand. Um, if you've made an all-in commitment, that means you've, you've filled out an all-in card completely. Um, put yes. If you haven't, put no. We're not shaming you. Uh, but I want you to know, those of you who aren't, we still kind of watch this go on. Because we want to know, gosh, what is your perception of our church? And uh, how many of you aren't all-in? But if you look at that first side, um, revisions to bylaw 3.4, I'm just going to go through this. It says officers, basically what's in bold is being added and what's crossed out is what's being crossed out. Officers for the Council of Elders will be chosen from within the Council of Elders by the elder officers. That's one tweak. So that large group does not elect officers. It's the officers that try to choose another officers from the shepherd pool. That's a little bit of a difference. Now for voting, it's the elder officers that only their vote counts. The shepherd elders do not. We felt like, too, that would throw out of balance the volunteer and the paid staff role. So we're keeping that within the office elders. Officers carrying the voting responsibilities for the council of elders. Uh, then you see officers are limited to no more than six years of cons uh, consecutive service as an officer without as an officer without a one-year break. So they can only still serve six years so you're not having a lifetime group of officers. All right? Hopefully that was enough. You could say yes or no to that. Uh, bylaw revision uh, to 3.1, real simple. The council of elders will be composed of a senior pastor or like lead pastor, uh, a senior staff member who's responsible for overall business and financial administration of the uh, church, at least one additional pastoral staff member approved by the elders with no fewer than six congregational members. We, we wanted to make sure we keep the balance and that we have a couple staff members that are running that. One of the things we've noticed, the staff is working, more stuff happens in one day here, so every 30 days to have just a volunteer elder try to keep up, it was too much. And so we need to, to make sure we're bringing them in. Look at this last part. Elders may appoint a member from the congregation to complete another member's unexpired term. We want to get rid of that, and here's why. We felt like that uh, devalued the, the affirmation process. It's basically saying elders could pick anybody from the congregation to fill an elder role. That skipped the election process or that nomination process. So we'd like to remove that, all right? So put yes or no. That is your kind of your affirmation uh, part of that. Elders are going to come forward, and we're just going to... Uh, I'm sorry, ushers, not elders. I said elders. Wow. Uh, ushers come forward, if you would. Yeah, they, thank you. And we're going to take offering. We have a great privilege to be generous here with our tithes and offerings. Uh, we've been very open about how we use those. We're in a Ripple campaign, a lot going on. Again, it's the generosity that we have as an expression of worship to God. Worship is not reduced to songs. Uh, in the scripture, it was with hands and feet. And one of the ways that that worship was expressed through is through generosity. So let's pray for that. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the bride. We're grateful for uh, how much you care for the bride. 
And God, might our hearts be just overwhelmed with love and generosity for her, the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, ushers are going to do that, and I want you to, as you're putting all that in, to watch a little bit of soul pancake, a little pep talk uh, from this little guy. We all need pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, are we on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. <laughs> Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there really were two paths? I want to be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. So he retired. Yeah, that's right. He retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. But if we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid. But I do know this. It's everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. What'd you think of him? Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? Someone told me after the service that they did some research on him and he has a, de a degenerative bone disease. And the doctors have asked him not to be active like that and his parents said he's just so full of life that this kid's doing this. So it kind of adds a whole new dimension. But he asks a question. What will you create to make the world more awesome? Did you love that? What, what are you are doing with your life? What are you putting your energy into, your love, your passion, your sacrifice to make the world more awesome? Well, this is the second part of the morning message and hopefully to be inspirational for you because God has already invented something to make the world awesome. And it really is the bride of Christ called the church. The church of Jesus Christ, God sends Jesus to die 
to resurrect, defeat death, to, to atone for sin so that the bride of Christ could be born. And the bride of Christ is in waiting for his return. Now this has obviously uh, relevance for me in the last week. And not that it hasn't for the past 26 years of my own marriage, but uh, I had an interesting week. I cried more this week. I seriously don't know what it's like to be pregnant, but I get it. I cried over everything. Um, this is a picture of Lauren and Garrett. And, and so, you know, I have, I really don't have a lot of nervousness about talking with you. I don't. And I've, I've spoken all over and I don't mean to say that bragging, but I don't really get that nervous. I, I'm intense about uh, teaching and making sure that it's helpful and, and biblically correct, but I, getting up is not very, uh, getting up to talk to you is not very difficult for me. Okay, so this week, I, I find myself outside the doors as the service, as the wedding ceremony is going on, locked arms with Lauren, looking at her, and I could tell I was super fragile. And I had, I had not felt that way in years. Now, I reflected back. Um, when Trish and I got married, I remember standing up um, waiting for her and the, you know, the, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids all came down and there was an Amy Grant song being played. And I thought, that's cool. All of a sudden, they're all through and it's Trisha singing the Amy Grant song to me. Uh-huh. Trish is like a singer. You didn't know that. She's saying the Amy Grant, once they saw that, I lost it. I was a mess. I'm weeping, right? I can't even look at her hardly. So then she got walked up by her father, and then her dad pulls out this letter. And he reads a letter he wrote to her the night before. Okay, so the problem is I wanted to be faithful and carry on that tradition. In fact, I've married a lot of people, and I've kind of beat dads up a little bit come on, write your daughter a letter and just read it to her. How hard could that be? <laughs> I, I'm asking for forgiveness for every dad that I pressured to do that. Oh my gosh. So I, there I am and they open the doors and come on, you would think I could be able to hold it together just to get to, my face was contorting. I was crying so hard. You'd think I was marching to a funeral. I mean, it was like, oh. So I, I, Lauren and I got down there, and before they asked that simple question, I pull out this letter, and I start to read it. And I, I am going to be mortified to hear the recording, because I don't think you could understand me. I was crying so hard. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it? Uh, it's so interesting. So... Then the question is asked, and it's a small question, and it's, it, just, it just requires a short answer, her mother and I, right? Who gives this woman to be married to this man today? And then afterwards, uh, I sat down, and then I finished, and I came back up and did their vows, of which I want you to know, I was totally different. I was so different, and I thought, wow, why that spot? Let me tell you why. There's something about knowing you're stewarding something for a season. And there's going to be that point where you hand it off. And I think as a dad, you realize, and as a mom, you go, this is it. I'm, I'm done. No matter what's happened in the 23 years of Lauren's life, 
There's, there's no more. There's no going back. There's no fixing anything. It's we finished. And you're handing it over. And I think that was so powerful for me to realize that. This morning, I want you to hear that throughout the Bible, we're called the bride of Christ, the church. And I believe, as the scripture says in Revelation 21, one day, we will stand And in an irony about this metaphor, not only are we the bride, but we're going to be held accountable for how our relationship is with the bride. We're going to be looking back and saying, what did I do with your bride, Jesus? And God's going to ask, what did you do with the time and the gifts I gave you and the campus I gave you and and the people I gave you? He's going to ask us this question. And I was so throttled with so much emotion about the reality of being done. And I can't help but think this morning to inspire you to think about your relationship with the church. To think about it with that kind of passion. That kind of energy. Because Jesus does. The scriptures do. Paul talks about it this way. Look what Paul says. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He, scripture talks about God being jealous. Paul is jealous for this church in Corinth. And he says, because I promised you to one husband, to Christ. This metaphor is so interchangeable. This morning I want to give you four characteristics of a relationship with the bride, the church. Friends, you cannot say that you are a Christian today and not a part of the the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And you will, we all will be held accountable how we stewarded and loved this bride. Matthew 25 talks about the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The five that were wise were what? Preparing. They were anticipating And I think sometimes we forget in the motion of our lives, in the the redundancy of things that just happen the same every week, there's a service, then there's Monday morning, go back to work, and we go through all the motions where we begin to become complacent and forget about the bride. When I do weddings, when I'm standing in 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 the wedding pastor role, I get emotional usually hearing that because I'm usually looking, not at Bobby, but at my wife, usually sits right there. And I'm, I'm looking at her thinking, oh, I did that with Trisha. She's my bride. This morning, I want to challenge you to think that way. And Paul says, I'm jealous, and I'm jealous for you, our church, to think of our church this way. I promised you to one husband. This word promised actually means joined together. Two boards that have been hewn together, that have been uh, mitered so that they fit perfectly like a ship's hull. Put together, promised. First characteristic this morning I I want you to look at and ask you this question is our relationship to the bride is to be faithful. It's the reason we do vows. So hearing Lauren and Garrett pull out their sheets of paper that they wrote their own vows and I remember Trish and I doing our own vows, and I can remember uh, how I thought I was going to have it all together, and so I memorized them. 
And I can remember just still crying. I still was losing it and needing to look at him. But I made commitments, right? I, Troy, take you, Trisha, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have, to hold from this day forward. I mean, I made a commitment. I made vows to be faithful to, no matter what. Friends, when you became a Christ follower, it wasn't, it wasn't like the retail world of consumption and consumerism, where you just get to kind of shop church. You made vows to the bride of Christ, and that's why we call you to commit, because it's for better or worse. It's for even if the pastor doesn't teach a sermon you like, or the programs aren't the way you like it, or the direction of the church isn't where you like it, it is for better or worse. There are days where Trisha wakes up and doesn't like the direction of her husband, but she's made a vow. And I think we have to, to, to process, reprocess and think about what does it mean to be faithful to the vows as a Marine. And I remember that boot camp right, to start boot camp, throwing us off the bus, the wall has lights on it, and it's, it's a vow to my country. Right hand over your heart. And so we make this vow, and now as Marines and other military have different phrases, but for a Marine, there's a term, they, and if they find out you're a Marine, and there's another one, they say Semper Fi, right? Semper Fi, it's Semper Fidelis, it means always faithful. What an interesting term for military. But I think it's appropriate to think that that is what happened when we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ is to say, I will always be faithful. Now, Jesus ultimately models that to us, right? Because we aren't always faithful. The craziness of our unfaithfulness and Jesus is always faithful, but we're called to commit to that. That's, that's why... Modern American church, consumeristic, kind of jumping to, to place to place. I remember in California asking, well, do you attend here? Oh, no, I attend five churches. On Wednesdays, I go to this church. On Sundays, I go to this church. I go Sunday nights here. I'm in a small group with this church. And then I give to this other one because I really like they're doing. Friends, that's what's just so destructive to the bride. Imagine if I had said to Tricia, well, I'm just providing for you, but I have four other brides. How horrible that is. There's a faithfulness to the body of Christ that Paul speaks about that we need to think about our relationship with the bride. Ephesians 5, Paul's going to start to talk about this, this metaphor, but also in relation to a husband and wife. And he uses it to inspire us not just to marriage, but also the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing by the washing with water with through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Second piece. There needs to be a love for the bride. It, it really is the price, and this isn't just conditional love, hey, or contractual love. I love you. If, if, you are, if you do these things for me, Trisha, then you're just going to get all the Troy love. You're going to get it back, you know? No, it's, 
I'm called through those vows to love her no matter what. Guys, that's the whole of the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament, the story of the Israelites back and forth and God saying, I'm going to love you no matter what. In fact, he asks a prophet, Hosea, to marry a prostitute and saying, I I want your example of pulling her out of another man's bed to bring her back and to love her to restoration for the world to know, Israelites to know, that's what you do to me and I still love you. Do you have a love like that for the bride? When we sit here at Community Church, I want you to know I love the church. I have to love it. Because getting up here every week could start to be, it could tear apart my soul and live two worlds, a performing pastor and and a a pastor that lives in a dark side. I want to be in love with what I do. And I am. I've said to myself, the moment I stop loving, getting up every morning and working through the problems of the church, right? It could be sin issues in people's lives. It could be a staff problem. It could be a programmatic problem. It could be a financial struggle. It could be debates. It could be where are we heading next? I love the bride. I love it. I loved meeting with Garrett and Lauren and as much as they let us in, just to talk about their road and what they're going to try. We were excited for them. We loved being a part of the preparation. We loved being a part of however we can cheerlead you on in friends. We want them to be successful in their marriage. We want their, their marriage to work. Do you want the bride of Christ to be more awesome? Do you love it? I think today we love other things, lesser loves. And God says we're to love the church. And sometimes that's hard. I know. Sometimes it's hard to love this group of people you didn't pick. But God picked them. And friends, quite frankly, maybe God has you in these seats because he's stretching you to be around people that is going to help you love even better. Do you love the church? It's the price we have, and that love is a love that provides and gives, is generous, is lavish with just giving love back to the bride. I remember in the interim period where uh, the pastor that had had fallen here uh, years ago before I started on, I remember getting a call saying, we need help. And I remember saying this to that elder, I will because I love the bride. I don't know why that has just been deep-seated in me, but it is true. No matter how much I disagree with things, I love the church. I am responsible for that. And so are you. 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. A third... The third is to sacrifice. It's the discipline. This is, this is hard stuff, the church. Now, I, I want to ask you this question, and again, not a half answer here, because that doesn't mean you're like halfway in. Um, how many of you, one of the first discoveries once getting married, realized how selfish you were? 
Oh, yeah. Let's see the confession, yeah. Now, when Trish and I got married, um, she was way more selfish than me. I'm totally joking. She's not here. Uh, I was, I was, I discovered how much it was hard for me to sacrifice. I mean, some dumb little things in marriage. Marriage is an interesting uh, picture of union and us leaving something and giving up. Friends, when you became a part of the bride of Christ, you left something. You left being in charge of yourself. You left being Lord of yourself. You gave Jesus the throne of your life and said, I will sacrifice for the bride. I will sacrifice for the church. That's where you read in the New Testament the beautiful pictures of people selling things, people giving their time, people going through persecution, people think being killed for their faith today. This is the beautiful picture of sacrifice in the church. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And listen to what Paul says. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. What is he saying here? That... Could it be that Paul wants us to understand that there's a leaving and cleaving? When you came to Christ, you immediately became a part of the bride of Christ. You are that bride, and yet you're to steward that and caretake that for as long as you're here on earth with whatever resources you have. And I want you to sit in that for a minute. What have you left? Or are you trying to love the bride with all these other lesser loves? Could you imagine if, if I got up on the altar with Trisha and said, I'm going to love you, but I'm also still going to date the four other girls I used to date. I'm going, to, I'm going to entertain the lesser loves of my life. Friends, when we became Christ followers, we were to be leaving something to be united to him. That's the last one. It's the result. I not only have the vows that I'm to give, to faithfully hold to. I am not only have the love, the passion uh, to do that for Christ, I'm, I'm to have sa- a sacrificial attitude to give, but I'm also to be, to experience the, the uniting, and I'm to leave things. So being a part of the church here on Sunday morning is calling you, friends, sometimes to leave things. To leave some of our selfishness, to leave sin, Uh, to be challenged. Part of an elder shepherding role is to call us out when things aren't right in our lives. Friends, I need that. As hard and humbling as that can be and hits our pride, I need someone to say, I didn't like your attitude there. I don't think that was Christ-like. I don't think that was stewarding the bride well. I think we all need that. And hopefully this morning you're you're getting a sense of being inspired that you have been left with a charge to get the bride ready. Because one day you will stand in Revelation 21 at a wedding feast. I want to be that person that could have a picture like this. And I know this is Lauren and Garrett, and they have this beautiful 
picture of all the people they had in their life that week. They, they started showing up a week early to the Packer game, and believe it or not, we had a fifth wheel in our driveway. We had like nine cars. Every night till like two in the morning, they were, they were talking and celebrating. And honestly, I kept thinking, this is the way the church is. We're to be gathering every week and going, oh my gosh, one day, he's gonna be here. One day he returns and we're to celebrate and begin to embrace the bride. We, church, as we gather, should feel this way. And it was such a celebration. We danced all night. Why? All for the bride. Friends, I pray you take seriously loving the bride. Are you loving the bride this morning? We're going to go to the crosses this morning and we're going to sing about the sacrifice God makes for, for us through the death of his son to atone for sin, to remove the power of sin in our lives, to remove the penalty of sin in our lives. And so now we wait because he's eventually going to remove sin that it no longer has a presence in our lives. But right now it does. And in the church, we gather together as the bride. We get a chance to do that. Friends, if you know Jesus this morning, go to the crosses and take that bread representing his body and his blood. But know that you do that with responsibility for the bride. I love the church. As long as God has me here, I want to love our church. I hope you do too this morning. God, will you give us a weightiness this morning as we invited the Spirit into this room to feel the weight of stewarding your bride. Might we love her well. Might we be faithful to her. Might we sacrifice for her so that, God, we can be united and one with her. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.